What's up, everyone? This is Tony Sabetta, and you're listening to Startup IP, a podcast about startups and intellectual property. By the way, I'm a partner and patent agent at Airden McBurney LP in Toronto. I shouldn't have to tell you this, but any opinions expressed by myself or my guests are solely my own or my guests and do not reflect any of those of Airden McBurney. And so you should not treat any of these opinions as legal advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. So who do we have today? In this episode, I sit down with Stephanie Lapierre, CEO and founder of Tealbook, a platform for supplier information management and discovery. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Stephanie. Uh, thanks for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, okay. So perhaps you can start off uh, by telling us a little bit about your company and what you guys do. Yes, of course. You know, the, the way that we define ourselves is um, as a our technology is an, an autonomous supplier data enrichment platform. So what that means is that we are grabbing data on every company uh, in the world that do business with the enterprise. And we're doing this using machine learning um, that allows us to have a universal supplier record that helps organizations from midsize to very, very large with hundreds to millions of suppliers that they do business with across all different types of spend. Um, it allows our technology to automate how information is cleansed, enriched, and populated into their software. So that gives a, a large organization uh, the opportunity basically to turn the light on to their supplier data and uh, get to know a lot more about the suppliers they do business with. And it also helps them maximize their investment in software that has information about those suppliers. Uh, today, it's quite disparate. Um, information is hard to clean, it's hard to enrich, it's hard to populate, it's done very manually. And so most organizations don't have a unified view of who they do business with, which uh, really inhibits a lot of opportunities for innovation, competitiveness, um, mitigating risk and things like that. And so uh, traditionally it's been a process that's been quite manual. It's been a process that's been very costly. And I would say most of our, our customers would say uh, it's been an impossible task that's been done over and over again. And we automate that uh, in a way that um, lets them focus on maximizing their investment in technologies and, and having access to information that helps them make much faster and better supplier-related decisions. Wow. Okay. So how big a problem is this? <laughs> well, my view, it's, it's, it's actually the fundamental issues that a lot of organizations are facing um, when, um, when, when, let's say, for lack of a better word, servicing the business. You know, it, it comes back to you know, every day employees need suppliers to do their jobs, that they're buying products or services from those companies. It's a really essential part of doing business and, and remaining competitive and not having access to that information, especially in a tam timely manner, not having all of the context required to make good decisions um, really prevents companies from, from maximizing the potential of their relationship or capitalizing on um, areas like uh, innovation or economies of scales or mitigating risk. And so I think it's the fundamental issue and in, in resolving this data problem uh, results in a lot of different return on investments from small, um, you know, uh, examples like 
understanding who you do business with, for example, where you may have a cluster of companies that do exactly the same thing. You just may have not known about it because you haven't had visibility into your vendor master before. And so that allows you to build uh, strategies around consolidation of those suppliers, or you may have other areas where you're not maximizing the potential. There's a lot of suppliers that are similar to the one that you're doing business with, and you don't have, you have a much lower number of suppliers in some categories, so you're not maximizing competitiveness and driving savings. Um, you know, if I look at some of our customers, you know, to quantify the, I'm trying to tr quantify the problem, but, um, you know, we have clients who in a very different context have, uh, the sales team, for example, one of our clients were in an RFP with, uh, the veteran association. So it was a massive contract, hundreds of millions of dollars. And, uh, in the RFP, they were asking some questions about their own suppliers, like how many suppliers you do business with that are diverse, small or veteran owned. And that's data that they didn't have access to that was required for the RFP response. And so allowing us to turn the light onto their data and giving them that kind of insight within 48 hours allowed them to respond to an RFP and win the $100 million contract, right? Mm, so wow. the ROI can be quite, um, quite significant. When we're talking about a technology problem, you know, if we look at our clients today uh, and what's happened in the trends over the last couple of years is that a lot of the software companies have moved to the cloud and they've been telling procurement and CIO some really good stories around, you know, digitizing um, their function and leading their digital transformation by moving their software to the cloud, which it does. But in order for software to be effective, it requires good data. And there's a lot of friction today with, you know, you buy the software, you rely on your system integrator to um, implement and configure and, and build the integration. Uh, and a lot of the what's causing some of the delays or the friction or even the failure is that that process is still done manually, that the SIs don't have the technology to automate how data is being populated. Um, it's relying a lot on suppliers to come in and populate the data themselves. And having so many suppliers, having so many systems, suppliers just don't do it because there's no ROI attached to it. So it causes a, a friction and delays there. And you have to end up, you know, hiring often a third-party provider to help you populate information so that your your users, your employees have access to updated, validated data. And then in a technology ecosystem, if you're looking at buying multiple digital solution, which is the world that we're living in, you end up with multiple systems that you have to maintain information into. You have to invite suppliers often, you know, between your ERP, your procure to pay, your contract management system, you may have a third-party risk management system. You may have a supplier relationship management system. You may have a supplier diversity portal, a sustainability portal. Your team may be pressuring you to get another sourcing system. And so you end up with so many software and having to make really hard decisions and taking IT's time to be able to integrate the solution into each other in order to have data flowing across your system. And that's another possible task that's very challenging. And so we're offering a solution basically off the shelf, uh, adding Tealbook as a product um, that automates data and powers all your system from, from one place. So it's your data foundation to your entire digital ecosystem. So you don't have to rely on IT to connect your systems to each other. 
you 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 can replace your system much faster because the data now flows from the cloud. Um, you're also able to implement your your software much easier because the data gets populated automatically and it covers 100% of your suppliers. You don't have to rely for on suppliers to come in to be able to activate, you know, using your your new system. And so there's a lot of benefits that come out of it. It's just it's it's almost hard to quantify actually the impact. But you know, traditionally it's been undervalued because it's been impossible. Now, to the average Joe, average Jane, supply chain management is not uh, top of mind. It's not something most people think about. But in the midst of this uh, global crisis, it seems like now you know it's entered the lexicon. People understand that now because. Uh, they can get uh, access to certain goods. Uh, you know, the shelves are bare. How can Tilbrook help in a situation like this? Yeah, thanks, Tony. I mean, it's, you know, it's things are evolving so rapidly and, and we're as a team um, are staying con- very connected daily to make sure that we are, you know, addressing the market in a way that we can be as helpful as possible. Um, right now, we've we're going to be offering companies um, access to a free report. So if they're looking for suppliers that can address um, some of the crisis right now, like, you know, our clients are looking for that's N93 masks to gloves, to ventilators, to sanitation products and things like that. So we're going to be offering a free report for those uh, who want to take advantage of it. So we can provide a list of suppliers or contact information, what they sell, um, and they can do, then they can contact those suppliers on their own. Mm-hmm. And then we have partnerships with some of uh, the P2P and some of the consulting firm. And so with those customers, we're going to be offering a free pilot to uh, help them source for suppliers. In the meantime, I mean, we scout hundreds of millions of uh, most traffic websites and, and hundreds of different sources to be able to grab information about companies. So we have a pretty good understanding of what suppliers uh, do, what types of goods and services they provide, where they're located, um, how similar are they to other suppliers that are already doing business with them. And so by offering uh, a free pilot, our clients are going to be able to, one, turn the light on to their existing vendor master. So understanding at 100% what your suppliers do can really help, especially if you have contract, you may have done business with a small supplier that sells something you're looking for. You just don't know because you don't, you, you don't have, it's not feasible to have access typically to hundreds of thousands of suppliers, but with Tailbook, it really allows uh, any buyer from their phone or application to source across their entire vendor master based on suppliers that provide the goods and services that they're looking for. And they also be able to expand outside of their vendor base to find companies uh, in really specific, you know, requirements with very specific re- uh, criteria like geography, for example. Uh, and what we're seeing in in Tailbook right now, a lot of the searches are being done locally. So our the buyers in Tailbook are really going down to like really like cities, as traditionally we saw a lot more global national searches. Uh, that indicates that. Um, buyers are looking for more local based suppliers right now to address, you know, some something specific that may be more urgent or need to be sourced, you know, faster. And so, um, yeah, I think that's going to be a first first way okay. for us to, to, to start helping. Um, but we have so much information. We're seeing the government, the government of Canada's issued statement that they're looking for suppliers and 
very specific um, categories and we can definitely help. So we're trying to get through the government of Canada and the U.S. and then any private sector that needs information about suppliers or be able to find supplies, you know, we're definitely able to give them a source of, uh, of information. Just switching gears a bit here. Uh, congrats on being selected for the Women in Tech Silicon Valley program. Why is such a program important? Yeah, uh, that was uh, last year. So, um, I mean, we've been really fortunate. I think it, it's it, to be an AI company, like very data driven and being a woman right now is sort of a, a good time for, for both. Um, and uh, I do think that there's been an increased amount of support for female founders over the last, even once since I launched Tailbook. Uh, it's incredible to see the types of organizations that are supporting the VC funds that are focusing on women, the programs to support and build an ecosystem around female founders. So um, we've been, you know, very fortunate to take advantage of some of those, um, you know, uh, organization and, and we've been funded by Stand Up Ventures and BDC, the Women in Tech Fund, two funds that are dedicated to female founders and been, you know, recognized and, and included in multiple programs. So just jumping to uh, intellectual property, um, there are certain fields, for example, biotech, medtech, automotive, in which patents are a must. And then there are other fields, such as software, uh, that are quickly dismissed when it comes to patents. So I'm just curious how, as a software company, you decided to uh, protect your inventions. Well, so for us, the priority is the software is, is great. And there's a lot of things in software that... Um, you know, you can, you can definitely um, protect. And we are, have built, you know, in our interface, some things that, you know, can be uh, recognized, for example, as a brand or workflow that have, that are quite, you know, uh, unique. And so, um, and then even in our branding, there's things in our branding that you could protect, but the value of our company is really in the data. And so, um, you know, understanding mm -hmm. what we're protecting, what data are we able to really make proprietary to Tealbook and, and create some defensibility around. Um, and that's really what differentiates our technology is that we're not relying on humans or customers to give us data to make the data better. We're actually grabbing information and we're able to, um, you know, deliver a ton of value for an organization today, even if they're in a new sector. And so, that's really key in the way that we're looking at, um, you know, patent and IP or at pat IP generally, it's sort of divided in, in different, um, different categories that it's around patent. Um, and, uh, and that could be, you know, around um, patent around, like we built around the way that we organize or aggregate data, for example. Um, so we've, we've definitely mm -hmm. have, have sort of protecting ourselves there. Then any sort of trade secrets around Tailbook and how we manage those trade secrets. Um, that's something that we're, we're now looking more closely to it. Um, we've got on the data ownership uh, and compliance uh, will be key for us. Um, and, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out also, or we're leading sort of those discussions with our IP firm to make sure that we are protecting and we're creating some defensibility there. 
and then again around our trademark around our brand so we've uh are looking at how do we define ourselves as a trusted source of supplier data and we're able to to add some trademarks to some of the things that we are putting into the market uh, we're leading a new category right now of autonomous uh, data enrichment technology so looking at what are we able to to patent uh, or trademark sorry versus you know what's more you know, broadly used terms and so I guess my my <laughs> I'm probably over speaking because we're in the midst of this we have started protecting ourselves but we've were recently funded um, just before the holidays thankfully oh, we feel really fortunate mm-hmm. and so and and the investors that have come in uh, we've got three new uh, pretty well-known U.S. investors, Refinery Ventures, uh, Grand Ventures, and Workday Ventures. And so, and with this new capital, a big part of it is how do we, how do we protect ourselves, and how do we make ourselves more defensible? Um, and then, and so, uh, you know, we've, we've engaged a firm now, we've put some budget, uh, and we're going to be more aggressive moving forward and how we think as a company, and how do we make um, our IP part of our strategy mm-hmm. and, uh, and then across all the different functions. So we're, we're dedicating, um, a task force for IP so that we can, we can start gathering what we think should be protected and then prioritizing that. And we'll be actively in 2020, um, you know, starting to invest heavily in, in our, um, IP strategy. Oh, sounds good. So, so as a young company, when did you start thinking about IP or protecting your uh, your, your your technology and uh, your marks? Well, almost right away, actually. Yeah, we we started right away when we start building the algorithms that allow our the output of our data to be relevant and useful to our customers. Is when we we filed for um, for the initial IP. Um, and then from a trademark, we also start trademarking our name. So Teal Book, which it was an interesting story that we, uh, as we applied, we I received a letter from Facebook uh, filing our application to trademark, uh, saying, surely you've heard of the billion dollar company called Facebook. Um, definitely felt a little threatened, um, or I'd say, um, you know, um, it's imposed, it, it, you know, it's, it's like receiving a letter like this. And so I became basically a trademark expert in about a week, um, called every lawyer that I knew. I had a law firm, but my law firm was encouraging me to change the name. And we had already a year invested in the name. And suddenly, it's not that I care so much about the name. I think we did have a year invested, um, but suddenly someone did not want me to have Teal Book. And, you know, I was just not going to mm-hmm. let that go <laughs> so easily. And so, um, you know, the majority of lawyers that we I talked to said, "Don't bother. This is Facebook. They they have a lot more money. Um, you know, it's it's probably worth just changing the name." And on the same day, we're going to change it for Tealboard. And then on the same same day, someone trademarked or or bought the URL for Tealboard, so that didn't work. And so I fought back, um, and I had this guy from uh, Missouri in the U.S. that uh, said, "You know, why do you?" why do you want to trademark teal book? And I said, well, to protect our brands. Like, well, you know, you have the URL and anyone that's going to try to file a trademark mm-hmm. will get sued by or pursued by Facebook. So you're kind of protected. So I would just drop it and not file. And so I decided to give it a last shot. I sent an email saying that why we, okay. I, why we could co-exist. 
And then and then they ah. didn't file. So they missed the deadline and we got our trademark. And I was like, wow, my email <laughs> must have been so good. And then this lawyer called me about a month later and he's like, I think I know why you got you got your trademark. And I said, Oh, why? He said, Well, if you read the terms and conditions mm -hmm. in Facebook, it actually uh, prevents from anyone from using the name face or book in their business. And then they have, you know, they have uh they have ways to be able to pursue you through. There's like 400 oh, and wow. something lawsuits wow, wow, happening wow. with Facebook. And so, but the fact that I had never opened a Facebook account for Tealbook, because our market was more LinkedIn and, and debatably Twitter, um, I just never opened an account. So they had no grounds to pursue us. They couldn't actually pursue us. And so we got the trademark, but that was just, wow. you know, dumb luck. <laughs> but it, it was a good lesson and, 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 you know, reading the fine mm -hmm. print when you're signing up to software because we could have right. debatably not keep our name. And so anyway, so we did trademark Teal Book and uh, some of the terminology that we're using within our platform. So we did that right away. And then our technology was changing quite fast. We rebuilt with machine learning on Google um, and started developing, you know, different, different features and different ways of uh, grabbing and creating information. And so we decided to pause for a bit just to see you know, one, we needed the funding. Two, we needed to know and prioritize what we were willing to protect or where we found there's the most value. And last July, we did a pretty big pivot, not in our technology, but in the way we're articulating our technology from being more, um, appearing more to our customers as a software company, even though we're always building data to really being a big data company. And so this repositioning of being the found the data foundation that powers this twenty billion dollar software uh, e procurement software market, as um, you know, has really landed well with the market that's looking for a solution to a big data problem, and so you know, part of our strategy and fundraising and the way that we we're going to deploy capital, we had a budget assigned for IP, and so that we're in the midst of of making that uh, priority now. That's amazing. What would you say to startup founders when it comes to IP? I mean, are there things they should be looking out for? I think it depends on, on the technology, right? Um, for some software, even if you spend a lot of money in IP, you know, you may be, you may be easily replaceable. Someone could raise more money and come after you. And so it may just be that your biggest defense ability is being first to market mm -hmm. and grow as fast as possible. So I think you have to wait in, like, what's the value to your company? Um, I, you know, I know of a company that um, they were a competitor who was, was in the midst of being acquired by one of the big, big players. And they acquired that company, but that company was violating the IP of this startup. And so that was a way for that startup to get acquired by the same, the same acquirer, <laughs> mm -hmm. because they had the, they, they, they would have basically sued the the larger the larger company um and it was cheaper for that company to also buy both startups right mm -hmm. the one that had violated the ip and the one that owned the ip and so for them it it proven to actually be quite beneficial and it protected them and it it, it, it made it a quite of a nice um attractive exit for both the founders and the investor so um you know i think i think you have to really look at your technology and and budget and see what's worth um, protecting. I mean, if you're developing a very unique proprietary, like in the biotech space, for example, or 
you know, then you absolutely, because the value will be in your IP. You mm -hmm. do have to protect that and make that part of your, your seed funding. But if you're a software company, if you're building an application, uh, it may be best just to build as fast as possible, grow as fast as possible, and then wait until you get the budget or the funding to be able to mm -hmm. really build a wise and, and a good IP strategy. Okay. Um, so, so you mentioned you recently, uh, you know, got some funding from uh, some U.S. investors. Did IP play a role in that, uh, in you getting that funding at all? We put our IP and our trademark into the data room. Um, it was definitely part of their their checklist uh, while they did diligence. I don't think is is what drove mm -hmm. the 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 investment. They invested because the opportunity is massive. And they, they, we've, you know, we were able to, to support all of the things they were looking for. Is there a market that's growing really fast? Um, Refinery Venture is very focused on like pre hyper growth companies that have the management team. They have the validation that they are onto something. Mm -hmm. They have customers on on their product that are using it that are able to advocate for it, um, and. Uh, and mostly are they attaching themselves to a fast growing market. And for us, we met all those requirements. Um, I know for Workday, their interest is in machine learning. So any data-driven machine learning companies that are touching anything that Workday is working on. So HR, and they've invested quite significantly in procurement. They've acquired a company called Scout RFP for just over half a billion dollars uh, a few months ago. To, to, to address all the upstream that they didn't have, but data is a problem for all software and their um, head of product, you know, spent 17 years at mm -hmm. Ariba and now at work, they, you know, recognize the value in automating things like categorization and, and the, the management of the master data and be able to keep that, that data flowing. And so they got really excited and, and we learned recently that the, uh, the CEO approved the investment memo very rapidly. And so um, I think we just touched, it really based on the thesis of your investors, mm -hmm. but for us, the idea was not the driver. It was really the opportunity, what we're building. Okay. But that may change for, for the next round. That may be very different. Mm -hmm. So what's next for Tealbook? Well, we're, we're full steam ahead. Like this is uh, definitely, um, you know, what's happening in the world right now. Um, and it's changing so fast. So we were on a path. We had everything approved by the board. We knew exactly where we're investing our capital and we're shifting gears a little bit right now, um, trying to help with what's happening so that we can be as helpful as possible. Mm -hmm. We are sitting on a lot of information that any organization that has a disrupted supply chain, which is probably most organization in the world right now, we can help, we can help the government. So we're making that a priority for now, um, continuing to invest in our data. So we have headcounts. We're continuing to hire because, uh, you know, we need to build up our, our data and engineering team. And then our sales team is actively right now um, taking calls from companies that are looking for information. So we're not the ones pursuing right now. We're, we're getting a lot of um, inbound request, which is, you know, a big change <laughs> from where we were. Um, so we're going to keep investing. Um, and, uh, and we have our, our, our roadmap is still there. And we're, we're addressing the things that we had promised our customers. But the priority right now is help the market help our clients help procurement be able to 
you know, um, support their teams, their organization, and, you know, um, ideally be, you know, at least as little disruption as possible. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see mm-hmm. over the next few weeks that may, you know, it will, it will change things. And I think the, uh, aftermath, which we're hoping will be sooner right. than later will be, you know, have massive impact on the economy and how I think organizations are thinking about their supply chain. Well, Stephanie, on that note, I'd just like to uh, thank you for uh, joining me on Startup IP Podcast. And, uh, you know, it's been a real pleasure having you on the uh, on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. Hi, I'm Stephanie Lapierre, CEO of Teobook, and this is a reminder to put IP on your to-do list.